there. Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. You're listening to a teaching from our Sunday gathering. We exist to join God in the renewal of all things by becoming a unified, spirit-filled family that follows the way of Jesus. And our desire is to come alongside you to encourage and equip you for that journey. So if we can serve you in any way, please reach out to us through our website at ajesuschurch.org connect. As always, we hope that this teaching increases your hope and deepens your faith. This is 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being a God who sees and provides. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful story. Lord, right now, we just, we ask that you would be our teacher today. You would open up our hearts, soften our hearts, open our minds, lead us into your truth. Take us deeper, Father. Would you even now turn down like competing voices of society, the enemy, any things that are distracting our mind? Would you just turn them down, Lord, and speak? Because we're listening and we want to hear from you. We love you, Jesus. Today, this is all about you. So even as we listen, we, we fix our eyes on you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Um, if you do need a Bible, we will be doing a Bible study today. Uh, there are men and women around the room with Bibles. that would love to get it into your hand. If you don't have one, please feel free to keep that as a gift from us to you. Um, we are, uh, we're going to be looking at a beautiful text today. You know, you have a deeper sense of that word deeper uh, when you grow up in a home with a father who is a search and recovery diver. Uh, my dad's one of those men who's kind of lived like a dozen different lives. You know, every time we sit down and talk about the past, uh, you know, up comes some old job that he did that I didn't know about or some new skill that he had from like years ago and, or some crazy place that he almost died Anybody know anyone like that? Like the stories just keep coming. Maybe it's your own dad, right? You know, um, 
one of those lives, in one of those lives, he was this like recovery, search and recovery diver. And what his job was, was to basically go down and find evidence and bodies. That's what he did. And he has some crazy stories. Uh, if he was here, he would love to tell you those stories in all of their gory detail, because that's just what my dad loves to do, make you all uncomfortable. I mean, many of you would, you would listen and you'd be like, wow, that's crazy that you would go into those places. But as, as I was saying, when your dad is a professional diver trained to go into difficult and dangerous situations, it changes your expectations around what deeper means. I remember all of the rules about managing expectations and not going below 40 feet when I was a teenager uh, learning to dive. And all of that was fine uh, when I was in the pool. But one of those first times we were out diving on a reef in the middle of the Caribbean and light was breaking down through the ocean and shining in this like underwater garden filled with the most incredible things you've ever seen and creatures like out of a sci-fi movie. And, and, and suddenly you're like, this is amazing. And, I, and my dad comes and, and, he, and he pulls me. He, he, I could almost see him grinning underneath his regulator, wanting to drag me just a little deeper, just a little further down. Let me show you just a little bit more because there was more to see. There was, there was more to experience. And yeah, for sure, there were risks involved. Uh, and I was... I was pretty confident that, that we weren't really supposed to be doing what we were doing, but, but I knew my dad likely knew more about diving than the guy who had taught us the class. And I trust my dad. He not only knows what he was doing, he had been to the places that he was trying to take me. He, he knew what I might miss and he wanted me to experience it with him to see what was possible with him. And his love for me, it meant that I could trust him to take me there. That's the, that's the great thing about a good father. He knows that even though deeper may require some risk and some more effort, ultimately, it's way better. So he'll always try to encourage more courage. Let me say that again. He'll always try to encourage more courage because he knows what you're missing out on and what he really wants is real life for you. Life that is full. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about what it means to go deeper. There is this call in the, in the scriptures for the curious and for the devoted. And, Come and see, Jesus says. Remember that from week one. Just come and see. To abide with Jesus in a way that takes us one step deeper in our relationship with him and in our relationships with each other. Today, we're going to finish off our series looking at what it means to go deeper when it comes to those gifts and resources and things that God has entrusted us with. To consider what it might look like to trust our heavenly father to take us into those deeper waters. If you've been 
a part of the church uh, for any length of time, you've likely heard a few sermons on money. Typically, it's the message that uh, most pastors hate to give uh, and the one that can be the most awkward to hear. And, and you may have heard, you know, things like, it's more blessed to give than receive. And, and everything that we have is a gift. I mean, Weston even mentioned that. And that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And that giving is a part of what it means to worship God. All very true and beautiful biblical ideas. Jesus spent so much time talking about money and calling us to use our things well, which is why it's kind of strange if you think about it that we get awkward talking about money. I mean, we all know that it takes money to pay the bills, to, to put food on the table or a roof over our head, but why is it so odd to think about church that way? makes me wonder if maybe a part of the reason is that we're still learning what it means to be a family. We're still learning to see church actually as a family, a family that needs our participation and care, that's dependent on God and the generosity of his people, all so that we can see the work of renewal, renewal here in our community be done, be accomplished that his kingdom would come and his will be done in Portland as it is in heaven. Another part of it might be is that we live in a world that frankly is in love with money uh, and, and the things that we can get for money, both the essential and the non-essential. Money has been used in brutal ways to gain power and prestige. Uh, and, and it can seem a little like that ring of power from Lord of the Rings you know, like my precious, that whole thing. Like th there's something about it in our gut that we know like this powerful tool, it can be both addicting and a bit dangerous. Is it possible to work with fire and not get burned? As we think about this weekly call to participate in worship through giving, how are we to approach our money and stuff in a way that moves us from transaction, almost like we're paying fees for a service, to relationship, where we see ourselves as stewards of, of this big family mission that we're all a part of, a family that that God has given us a mission that God has given us with the resources that he has given us to accomplish that mission. There's this beautiful but provoking story in the book of 1 Kings about Elijah the prophet and a widow from Zarephath. This is that same Elijah uh, that will eventually like have that crazy like mountaintop standoff on Mount Carmel between himself and the prophets of Baal. And, and, and in, in earlier in his ministry, we're told that, there, that he prophesied about a coming drought. And this drought was like judgment for the evil that had been done by King Ahab, one of Israel's most wicked kings, and all of those who were following him. The king was furious because the drought, frankly, it was gnarly. Uh, it caused a terrible famine in the land, drying up all of the resources and gifts that the land had produced, gifts and resources that, that the people had put their faith in. Generations previous, God had told his people, like if, if they put their trust in him, they would be blessed. 
he would be their very great reward. That's his language. But if they put their trust in anything else, it would eventually fail them. Interestingly, Ahab and his wife Jezebel were responsible for bringing the worship of the Sidonian god Baal to Israel. It was partially that worship that had brought God's judgment in the first place. Baal was the storm god thought to bring the rain. I mean, God quite literally turns off the tap as a statement of his power to show he is the God of gods, the king of kings. But God took care of Elijah, right? I mean, sending him out on a camping trip. He, he sets up his tent in a ravine by a brook, hidden away from the angry king Ahab and fed by the ravens, not the football team. Which is kind of crazy, if you think about it. Honestly, he was fed by the ravens, by the birds. I mean, I kind of feel like this is God flexing a bit, don't you? It's like, look what I can do. I can even provide through birds, right? And Elijah remained hidden in that ravine till the brook dried up. And then we read in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Again, God speaks to the prophet, telling him to leave Israel and head to the neighboring region of Sidon, the very place where Jezebel had come from with her storm God. I mean, in fact, Zarephath is literally in the very heart of Baalism like right in the center of where that God was worshiped. God is sending, God sending Elijah to Zarephath is both poetic in its irony and a beautiful picture of his faithfulness to all people. God has a heart for the lost sheep. The prophet had already experienced God's crazy, miraculous provision. Now he was being invited to bring a non-Jew, read one of the enemies who was a widow read somebody on the margins of society into his story. And he was going to do this by showing this widow the power of faith in a God who can truly bring the rain, the God of the impossible. Verse 10 goes on. So he went to Zarephath, when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. That was very polite, please. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we might eat it and die. Whoa, that's rough. The author wants us to catch how severe this drought had actually gotten. This widow, who would have already been uh, with very little means because she didn't have a husband, is now at the end of her rope because of the famine. And Elijah encounters her when she has almost nothing left to give. Everything that she and her son had to live on was summed up in one tiny loaf of bread. Utterly desperate. 
Elijah's request, it kind of seems strange, maybe even a little insensitive as we consider her humble state. But there are a couple surprising ideas here that point forward, little foreshadowing details that suggest that God has been on the move in this woman's story for long before this very moment. First, did you catch how she began her response? As the Lord your God lives. Kind of unusual. There, these are not the words of an outsider. This was a common way to make an oath in the Middle East if you were a follower of Yahweh. This Sidonian woman, widow, had at the very least learned of Yahweh and had likely even begun to pray to him, pleading for his help in the face of a storm god who refused to bring the rain. Baal had abandoned her and her son. Maybe, just maybe, Yahweh would respond. And he did. How do we know he did? Well, second, only a few verses earlier, Elijah is told by God that this widow had been directed. Did you catch that? Past tense. Had been directed to supply him with food. In other words, God had already been speaking to this woman, working in the heart of this desperately poor non-Jewish mom, Yahweh, God of the Jews, are you out there? Yes, my daughter, I am. Yes, my daughter, I am. And provision is coming for you and a prophet. But why? I mean, why would God do that this way? I mean, why would he go to such lengths to provide for Elijah when he could just use the birds, maybe the Seahawks this time? Just kidding, I had to throw that in there. Elijah was fine in Israel, right? I mean, why send him the Sidonian widow? Why? So she could know that God saw her, that God heard her, that God was responding to her, that God could even use her with her fledgling mustard seed of faith for his purposes. The widow didn't even know she was gonna be a part of the story. She couldn't have known that the, the voice of that God that she was hearing was, was, was about to be displayed to her in living color. She couldn't have known that there was a father who saw her and her son and cared so much that he would send guidance and provision through his prophet. All she had to hold on to was a gentle voice inviting her to go a little deeper. Verse 13 continues. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. This 
This is the God of impossible things. Man, I, I love the fact that Elijah starts out, leads with, don't be afraid. It's like a, a common assurance that God gives time and time again to those in the Bible when he's trying to give them that reminder of his presence and reminder of his provision. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I've seen you. And I desire in your need to make you generous. I desire in your scarcity to bring abundance for the sake of my mission. She had heard a voice from a God she almost couldn't dare believe was there, prompting her to provide for the needs of a man she had likely never met. There was probably a point somewhere in her story where she had turned her back on her lesser gods, but the food continued to dwindle. How many nights had she gone to bed, her and her son hungry? How many prayers waiting for something Anything, God. The invitation of God through the prophet Elijah is shocking when you consider the circumstances of her cupboards. The words almost like nonsense, like those of a rabbi who would come hundreds of years later, who would tell a crew of experienced fishermen to take the net from one side of the boat and put it on the other side of the boat. Wait, what did he say? Does he know how this works? I mean, the water on one side of the boat is kind of the same as the water on the other side of the boat. Just do what he says, Andrew. We don't want to make him mad. And then the miracle, the miraculous catch, the unexplainable amount of fish that gets piled in the boat. The boat's almost sinking so full of all of God's miraculous provision. The God of impossible things. Verse 15 continues, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. Man, powerful words there. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. It occurs to me as I say that, like, do we believe God's word? Do we believe that he is still this God who speaks and changes reality, sometimes in unexplainable ways? The God of the impossible, the miraculous catch, the resources that don't run out, the shoes that won't wear thin, the God of gods, the King of kings. He waits for us to trust him, not just with our excess, but with our lack. Not just in our abundance, but even in our need. He calls us to give generously, no matter our circumstances, what our that our lives might, might reflect his provision. Did you catch that little adjustment in the text there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. That's 
That word is plural. There's more than just one person. This is more than just her son. Can you imagine that first time that her sister came over to visit? We're starving, we're desperate. And she's like, well, here, have like seven loaves of bread. Can you imagine when the word got out suddenly that in this small little community that there was a woman who was cooking fresh bread all of the time in the midst of a famine, in the midst of all of the need? Can you imagine when her house became the gift of the neighborhood? Which would have likely mostly been her family. God turns her need into mission. Did you catch that? God turns her need, her want into mission. As I mentioned earlier, I, I know it can be difficult to talk about money. There, there's just a ton of baggage around it, right? And especially maybe even in the church. You don't want to talk too much about money because you don't want to be that church. Uh, but you, never, you don't want to never talk about it because it's all throughout the Bible. And Jesus seems to think it's like a really important part of our discipleship. The reality is, is we, we need to find ways of normalizing this conversation. I mean, for, for a bunch of reasons. To help us keep growing as disciples, to, to increase financial accountability, to become more aware of our family's needs, and to celebrate when God shows up in powerful ways. Like last week, we had the chance to share that incredible story, right? We, we went through October and November, and, and we found ourselves, man, we're 140K in the red. This is crazy what's going on. Lord, we need your help. Friends, we need your help. And the church, you responded. God responded in incredible ways. Last week, celebrating the reality, we were just like, just around 10K in the red. Well, this week, I got an amazing telephone call from some dear friends and family in the church who said, we want to take us up to even. Let's, we're going to give the rest. Let's just get us up to even. And that's worth celebrating. <laughs> Praise God, because God sees and God moves. And interestingly, he moves through these hands. Amen. How often are we that answer to the prayer that we pray? The story is amazing. But the question is, what, what does it look like to live this life that we see in the Sidonian woman? Well, for that, I want to invite a dear friend up on stage, Pam Criswell. Uh, Pam is one of those people that you will often see us welcome her up. <laughs> Pam does not like being in the front of the stage. Uh, in fact, actually, you'll often see her in the back because she loves praying over you guys and she prays all the time for the needs of this church. But I know that as, after our conversation, this is like a dear story for you because you kind of have some connections to it. Yeah, I do. It's, it's been a <clears throat> one terrifically in my heart. Um, and I came to the Lord a few years ago with just kind of that same desperate, great need. I don't have anything left. I'm now by myself. I've got three kids. What am I going to do? How am I going to make it? And so I went to the Lord and I just said, um, I need a job that has a future. I, have, I need a job that has benefits and provision. Um, and I just need more money. <laughs> I can't take care of these children. I can't do this without, I needed help. And uh, so I prayed, and what he told me to do was uh, quit, your, quit my job and give away money. And I thought, okay, Lord, did you hear what I was coming to you asking for? I, I needed the job, and I needed to have more money. Um, 
but in that, it, you know, like the story that he's sharing is, you know, she gave the little bit that she had left. And um, so I gave the Lord my yes and put, uh, gave away the money. And then it turned out to be, I don't know, a few weeks later, um, maybe a month or so later, I was just volunteering, helping with something that I'd done for years and years at, but never had gotten paid for. Um, and the person came up to me and I started to leave and she said, wait, wait, I have something for you. And she handed me an envelope and it was double the money that I had given. Mm. So that ended up sustaining me because I had also quit my job. <laughs> and um, I had just kind of two jobs. So I just quit the main thing. Um, but at that same time, uh, someone in my Bible study girl came to me in that morning. She said, I was praying for you and I feel like you need to, um, you're gonna, God has a job for you. Uh, you just pick a Street of Dreams builder. I have a degree in interior design. So she said, pick a, pick a Street of Dreams builder and go get your job. And so I put together my portfolio and resume and walked it, picked the company that I wanted to work for. And I walked in the door and there was, there was no job. There was, there was nothing there. But I just, I felt like the activation of um, my faith and the obedience to go into a, how, a building that has no job for me. Um, I walked out eventually they did call me back because there was an opening um, and so December 5th I started this is a few years ago now but um, I did get a job so thank you Lord. so even when it was just backwards he, he still you know did it yeah and so how does Pam how does that affect how you think about life day to day even like you know with this story with this experience how does it affect how you live your life um even if he tells you something that sounds a little crazy or upside down, um, heaven's ways are not earthly ways. Yeah. And we need to um, look at things from his perspective and trust that he's, he's got me. He mm. sees me, he knows me, and he's taking care of me, even the things that, um, and it's just being obedient to, to whatever he tells you to do. Yeah. Thank so, you so much, Pam. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. So good. You know, and honestly, I, I bet if I pulled, there, there would be more stories out there, stories of times where people stepped out in faith. Like, I don't have this, God. Here you go. And God just gave back because it's really impossible to outgive him. As we wrap up today's teaching, there are a couple ways uh, that I feel like this text is drawing us, calling us into deeper water as it relates to like our money and our things. The first is deeper means entrusting God with our stuff. You know, like Weston even said, really, it's all his anyways. What we're doing when we go, we take another step deeper is just, I'm, I'm just entrusting you a little more. Like I'm, I'm giving you even more access, more access to my calendar, more access to my bank. Oh, Lord, I want all of this to be yours. Because this, this shows our dependence on God and not our stuff, right? And that's kind of like, that's a part of the discipleship process is moving from this dependence on our things to a dependence on God. God is trying to set us free from things. And we live in a culture and in a time that is just like the counter to that. Get as much as you can and hold on for all dear life to it. That's the reality that we stand in the face of this. I want to say right now, that is not the kingdom. The kingdom is a place where all that we have comes to this incredibly generous God and says, Lord, use it for you. Use it for your kingdom. Your will be done. Take what I have, Lord Jesus. 
There's so much power in the widow's offering because her willingness pointed to this, this radical trust in God. Lord, I trust you. And we all need freedom. Freedom from the bondage because we hear it every day, right? I mean, this is like, this is the air that we breathe to, to resist against the consumption, to resist against the getting more from me. Second, deeper means mobilizing our stuff in the name of Jesus. There's a crazy, crazy change that takes place when we begin to see God's work of bringing the kingdom into our community as our work, the work that he's called us to, right? Where we can invest in, the place where we can participate because we've got a vested interest. It's kind of like, like a co-op, right? Where, where you're, you're like a, a part owner, this is my thing. It's not just God's work. This is our work. It's my work. I'm involved, Jesus. I want in. Right? I want to be a part of this. I want, to, I want to go with you into the places. And when we give, when we mobilize what God has given us, it pulls us another step deeper into his mission of transforming and changing this world that we live in. So I don't know about you guys, but like, I'm not done with the way things are. And I want to see things move and change. I want the kingdom to come in its fullness. I want to be a participant in his work in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in, in the community that God's got me, at the gym that I go to, whatever. Like, I want to see him move. When we give our resources to him, it's like we're saying, we want to participate. We want to be in, Jesus. What could God do through this church if we all lived with the same faith that this widow had? Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine if all of us lived? I mean, we, I have a long ways to go in this, but I'm looking at her and I'm like, man, someday, God, I want to be like her. What if we all, this church, we just AJC, we lived that way in the west side of Portland. What would happen to Portland? What would happen to Portland? Finally, deeper means giving our stuff as a fragrant offering. Now, I want to be super clear here. We don't come to God to appease him like the ancients who came and gave God stuff so that they could buy God's favor. We don't come to God that way. Friends, AJC, we already have God's favor. When we were praying in, in pre-gathering prayer this morning, I just had this vision of Jesus going into our kids' ministry and looking every one of our children straight in the face and just saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. My friends, this is Jesus's posture towards us. This is the Father's posture towards us. He is for us. We already have his favor. So why do we give? We give because we love him. And our love, our giving is an expression of worship and love. There's another beautiful story of a widow decades, centuries later told in the gospel of Mark that seems to captivate Jesus and get Jesus's attention. Mark 12 starts like this, verse 41. 
Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow, a widow again, how many times, amazing, came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents, calling his disciples to him. I mean, you can imagine Jesus there, right? He's sitting on the step. He's looking across. There's a place where donations go. And he's like, guys, come. You got to see this. Forget the big fancy building and people walking around in all their fancy clothes. Come, I want to show you something really amazing. Look at this widow. Look at this widow. Truly, I tell you, this widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth. She, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Sound familiar? This is the story of widow giving an offering of love to a God that she loves so much. A sacrifice. I like that idea in there. That, that, just gave all she had. You know, we, we throw that phrase around sometimes of going all in, right? Which is kind of funny because it's actually kind of a gambling metaphor. Like, it's like I'm pushing it all into the center of the table. Stick with me. I, I do wonder, though, if sometimes that, that is the invitation of the widows. Friends, what would it look like to go all in? I mean, what, what would it look like to see the things that I have as his things for his mission? There's risk, but there's also a ton of opportunity. Generosity in the face of personal need, it's, it's like this powerful form of faith. Remember, this isn't a transaction. This is love. And you know, honestly, I... I just want to say, I love this community. I love the generosity and the hearts in this community. And frankly, I'm so excited about what's ahead of us and the way that we've been growing in, in generosity and, and in our love for what God is doing. And I am ready to go. And I just want to throw out that invitation. If you are ready to go, to be a part of the family. In fact, there's two invitations I want to send. First off, I want to invite you to see church as family. I know we talk about this all of the time. Richard's analogy last week was beautiful about it. But, but isn't it funny how we, we can kind of compartmentalize and we don't treat this place that way? I want to invite you guys next week after this gathering, in a week from now, we will be eating pizza together and having a leadership circle up gathering, talking about what it means to be a part of this family, being all in, and you're all invited. Because I want to see something happen. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. It's like that moment on uh, The Incredibles. I don't know if you guys ever watched. You guys watch the, car watch the cartoons. It's one of my favorites, right? It's like, I, I just, I want to see something incredible happen. And I'm ready for it. And God is poising us for it. But it's going to mean that we're all in together. What does that look like? We take our, our gifts and our strengths and the things God's given us and our resources and our talents and, and the things that we love to do and the things that we're passionate about and we just go for it. Amen. What would that look like? I want to invite you, friends, to see this 
church as family. But secondly, and you knew this was coming, I want to challenge you, invite you to take that next step in giving. I mean, wherever you are in the journey, you might be one of those people who's like, giving is so easy. I've been doing it for forever. I give like 92% of my income away. And if you do, you're amazing. Thank you. And, and what's the call to all of us? And maybe you're just early and you're trying to figure out like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm learning how to trust God. My invitation is, what's just the next step? I mean, maybe you've got like a spare room and you're like, I got this room in my house and I would love to see it used for God's work. Well, I'll tell you what, we're trying to build an apprenticeship program around here. I could put somebody in that room if you want. And maybe you've got to gift some skills and some things that we need around here like ways to like finish projects that are halfway done. Or maybe you've got, you like, I'm really good with the hammer. The call is just to come to the table and give what you have. Friends, the deep end of the pool, it only seems deep when you're in the pool. But when you go out to the ocean, man, there is so much more. Man, the bottom of the pool is like boring. You might find like if somebody's forgotten earring or something that, you know, it's gross. But the bottom of the sea, that's where the adventure lies. That's where God is doing something and calling us in. And there's risk and there's opportunity and there's the potential to see something amazing. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.